more and more younger conservatives are coming up with this point of view and we have to worry about what policy agenda what their agenda is going to be in the future what are they going to try to do to the country perhaps in alliance with an opportunistic figure like trump who doesn't really believe in anything welcome to another episode of america explained podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. So just this last Sunday, Viktor Orban won re-election to a fourth term as Prime Minister of Hungary. He was quick to stick it to his enemies in his acceptance speech, saying that, quote, We won a victory so big that you can see it from the moon and you can certainly see it from Brussels. That latter part is a reference to the European Union, which Orban has clashed with repeatedly over Hungary's descent into one-party authoritarianism. But somewhere else you could see his victory very clearly from was the right wing of American politics, where Orban for years has been held up as an example of the sort of politics that authoritarian and nationalist and religious American conservatives want to bring home to the United States. In this episode, I'm going to dissect Orban's appeal to the American right, what it tells us about the future of American politics, and weigh in a little bit on why I think Hungary is such a terrible example for the United States to follow. As always, I'm your host Andy Gawthorpe. I hope you enjoy this episode of America Explained, and if you do, then please tell a friend and help spread the word about the podcast. The cult of Viktor Orban on the American right has many adherents among conservative intellectuals and politicians. I think it's worth just taking kind of a a roaster, a roll call of the various figures that have associated themselves with this movement. So both Donald Trump's vice president, Mike Pence, and his former attorney general, Jeff Sessions, have visited Budapest and praised Orban. So also have plenty of right-wing media figures. Tucker Carlson, probably the most influential media voice in the conservative movement, interviewed Orban on his television show and went further than that and actually hosted his show from Budapest for a week, spending this time praising Hungary as a model for America. More, let's say, intellectual conservative writers have also jumped on this train. So figures like Patrick Deneen, who is the author of a very, very famous recent book called Why Liberalism Failed, has praised Hungary. Rod Dreher, who's the editor of a magazine called The American Conservative, is incredibly influential among conservative elites and intellectuals, has also been praising Orban. Perhaps, and for me, this is the, the biggest thing that's happening, is that CPAC, which is the biggest annual gathering of the American conservative movement, is actually going to be held in Budapest next month which is about as strong as an endorsement I can imagine of the idea that Hungary ought to represent the future of the American right. What I think is even more remarkable that is even after Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and Viktor Orban has failed to really criticize Putin and has in many ways continued to align himself with Putin, American conservatives are still going ahead with holding this this annual meeting in Budapest continuing to hold up Orban as a model for America. I think that tells you really how committed they are to this. The thing that many of these figures have in common who have been praising Orban is that they mostly come from what's known as the post-liberal right, which is a collection of right-wing politicians and intellectuals. These figures are known as post-liberal because they reject the very foundations of liberal democracy, things like free speech, free elections, the fundamental rights on which America was supposedly built. Instead, these thinkers believe that America's traditional culture 
and its adherence to the Christian religion has degenerated so strongly and come under attack from what they characterize as totalitarian impulses on the left wing of American politics that democracy and liberal values might need to be abandoned entirely if traditional culture and traditional religious values, as, as these figures understand it, are going to be saved. And this isn't me putting words in their mouth. They're very, very open about this preference for maintaining traditional culture, even if it happens at the expense of democracy. So it's no coincidence that many of these figures come from the religious wing of the conservative movement, but a lot of them are also what more accurately might be called conservative nationalists. The sort of conservatives who lined up behind Donald Trump's promise to make America great again. And these two groups like Orban for similar and overlapping, but also sometimes distinct reasons. Religious conservatives really appreciate the fact that Orban calls his government a Christian democracy, and that he's taken steps to do what they see as upholding traditional Christian values and outlawing so-called wokeism, the kind of more liberal cultural values. So for instance, Orban has outlawed trans genderism in Hungary, and he's done other things that are seen as upholding these traditional Christian values. A lot of this discourse actually sort of centers on sexuality and gender, so Orban also forbade gender studies programs at Hungarian universities, and this was seen as a really, really big step that he took in order to uphold traditional ideas about gender. Orban, although he's not Catholic himself, he gets a lot of support from Catholics in Hungary, and he's also funneled a lot of money to the Catholic Church in Hungary. Something that goes completely against the American idea of the separation of church and state, but actually something that religious conservatives would very much like to see happen in America as well. For conservative nationalists who perhaps aren't religious or, or at least not so focused on religion as the driving force of their own politics, what's probably more important than his specific policies are his tactics and his willingness to fight against what conservatives portray as rapid and scary cultural shifts on topics around gender and identity and culture and also to some extent religion as well. So, Orban's decision not to accept Muslim refugees in 2015 at a time when millions of them were pouring into Europe is often held up as his single most important act, one which kept Islam out of Hungary, just as you know, other countries like Germany were letting these Muslim refugees in. Hungary basically said, or Orban said, we don't want these Muslim refugees because we don't want Islam in Hungary. We don't want the demographics and the religion present in Hungary to change. For conservatives who see their own mission as being about upholding what they characterize as traditional, proper American values, this was seen as a really, really strong, heroic stand that Orban took against the European Union to refuse to let in Muslim refugees. So Rod Dreher, who's a very prominent conservative writer, another person who actually went and spent time in Budapest on a fellowship which was fun funded by the Hungarian government, he's a really good person to quote on this. Dreher says that in America, the country has been faced with what he calls cultural disintegration in the face of woke values that have been pushed, pushed by Silicon Valley, by universities, by popular culture, and by left-wing politicians, and that Orban is someone who stands against cultural disintegration. He stands for the traditional culture of Hungary in a way that Dreher wishes that American Republican politicians would do in America. So here's how Dreher actually put it in his own words, and I'm going to quote him at length because I think it really helps to illustrate what's going on here. So Dreher said, what I see in Orban is one of the few major politicians in the West who seems to understand the importance of Christianity, the importance of culture, 
and who is willing to defend these things against a very rich and powerful international establishment. I find myself saying of Orban what I hear conservatives say when they explain why they instinctively love Trump, because he fights. The thing about Orban is that unlike Trump, he fights and he wins, and his victories are substantive. End quote. So this picture of Orban that Dreher paints is, I think, really important to understand what's going on here. This is a picture of someone who's willing to stand up to liberals and to the left and fight them, and, and that's really important. But something else that Dreher is saying is that Orban is, in many ways, the leader that religious and nationalist conservatives had hoped that Trump was going to be. One who was smart, who was savvy at winning political battles, and was really committed to their ideology. Trump actually really turned out not really to be any of these things. Rather than being smart and savvy, Trump was really, really bad at policymaking, really bad at governing. He managed to lose the 2020 election. And although he was willing to use his Twitter feed to wade into these sorts of culture war issues that cultural and religious conservatives love, his actual commitment to these fights was quite limited. Not least because he is a man who's been married three times, he has a very, very long history of actually taking liberal positions on social issues like abortion, and he's the kind of guy who boasts, as he did, of sexually harassing people, and he has sex with porn stars. So he's not exactly the ideal Christian philosopher king that religious conservatives want. He was willing to do some things that pleased that constituency, so picking people of the Supreme Court who had Christian values was something that was very, very important to religious conservatives. But Trump himself was not on a day-to-day -day basis out there making the case for these kind of religious values. And that's what these people, religious conservatives, see in Orban. They see him doing that every day in Hungary, building his home, whole government around this idea of Christian democracy, and they really, really like that. But there is another way in which Trump and Orban fans did have a lot of crossover, and that's in their attitude towards democracy and elections in America. So even though Hungary still has elections, they're basically not competitive anymore. This is because Orban's party has bought up all of the media outlets in Hungary, so they're now all mostly owned by allies of Orban and his party. He's rewritten election laws, he's engaged in gerrymandering, he's appointed his own people into key positions in the election administration bureaucracy. And the sum total of all of these things has been to make it basically impossible for the opposition to win the election in Hungary. It's now essentially a one-party state. It's not a democracy anymore. Even though it has elections, there's no chance of the opposition winning. So the elections are, are farcical, much like um, in Russia as well. And even though some conservatives still kind of pretend to believe that Hungary has competitive elections, others are quite open about the fact that they're willing to see the end of democracy in America if it means they can remain in power uphold the kind of values that they appreciate and crush their opponents. Now, Donald Trump also famously has very big problems with America's democracy and has tried to undermine it on numerous occasions, including by inciting this insurrection against the peaceful transfer of power last year. Donald Trump didn't do this though because he wants to stay in power to defend American Christianity from further cultural change. He did it because he's a sore loser who can't admit that he lost the election. For, for Donald Trump, it's always just about Donald Trump. But the pro-Orbanism that exists among conservative intellectuals and media thinkers made them much more willing to accept this undermining of American democracy because they fundamentally stopped believing in it anyway. 
by joining this post-liberal movement, they've already made the step of saying that we value other things more highly than we value democracy in America. So this crossover and combination between the religious conservatives and Trump's opportunism was one thing that made the 2020 election so scary because we knew a lot of people might back Trump if he tried to overthrow the government or, or to refuse to accept the election result. And this crossover remains really, really scary, you know, a scary prospect for the future of American democracy. And I think it's something that we're going to be contending with for a really long time. Okay, now we're going to take a quick break, and then when I get back, I'll explain why I think that Hungary is a really poor model for America. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States from an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. Okay, so I don't think I need to explain to listeners of this podcast why the death of American democracy and its replacement by a Christian one-party state would be a bad thing. But there's a few other reasons why this infatuation with Hungary is just really weird and disturbing to me. The first is that, if you just take a step back for a minute, it's really strange in general to see Americans looking elsewhere around the world for examples of other countries which they ought to emulate. Usually, American exceptionalism, the belief that America is number one at everything and it's in its own special category, means that Americans generally see little need to learn from others. Now, there are some exceptions to this, like the way that some people on the American left look to copy the welfare states of northern European countries, but generally this lack of looking abroad for models is is quite striking, and it's really based on this idea that America is number one, so we don't have anything to learn from the rest of the world. One example of this that I always like to talk about is guns. So it's a common belief on the American right that if American citizens give away their guns or have them taken away from them, then the inevitable result is going to be some kind of tyrannical government that will destroy everyone's rights and create a totalitarian state in which nobody has any liberty anymore because they don't have guns to defend that liberty. Now, this idea is easily proven to be completely ridiculous if you take a look at any European country where access to guns is highly regulated and impossible under most circumstances, but a tyrannical government does not exist. So you can just see that this logical connection just does not make any sense if you look for for a single minute at another country outside of America. And the existence of, of this blindness on really obvious and important issues makes it extra weird to me that it's suddenly Hungary's authoritarian government which has been held up as the example that Americans should follow. One thing that I think it tells you is that many people on the American right have kind of given up on American exceptionalism to an extent, or at least they no longer see their own system of government and their own state as an expression of that exceptionalism. They see them now as kind of alien, liberal, outside intrusions on American Christian culture. And if anything is exceptional to them, it's that Christian culture. It's not America's democracy. It's not its history as a haven for people of the world who need shelter from oppression or or any of these things that have typically been at the center of American exceptionalism. Instead, it's Christian culture that needs defending. And we can get rid of democracy. We can get rid of these other things as long as we can defend that. 
The other thing that I think is 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 kind of weird and disturbing about this is that just America and Hungary are very, very different places. Now, I don't mean to disrespect Hungary or any Hungarians who might be listening to the podcast, but some features of Hungary just make it a very strange model for America to follow. Firstly, it's a very small country of only about 10 million people. It has a per capita gross domestic product of less than one quarter of Americans. So that, that means that it's essentially as quarter a wealthy country as America is. And it's also enormously ethnically homogenous. None of these things make it a good model for a continent-spanning empire of over 320-50 million people, which is the richest country on earth, and also one with enormous racial and cultural diversity that's existed in America right from the beginning, and though is, is even more present now than it has been at any previous point in American history. There's, of course, many historical reasons why Hungary is a relatively poor country, and I, I want to make it clear here that I'm not kind of insulting Hungary for being a poor country. A lot of the reasons why Hungary is relatively economically undeveloped are to do with the fact that it was part of the Soviet Empire. It wasn't an independent country. It was oppressed by the Soviet Union for so long. But it's also the case that Orban's corrupt government certainly isn't helping the country's economy develop further. The sort of government Orban runs where there's just a one-party dictatorship in charge and friends of Orban and friends of the regime get to run the big businesses and control the media outlets and this sort of thing, that's not a good model for economic development. And some religious conservatives in America might think it would be a good thing if America adopted a corrupt, kleptocratic, one-party state which made it dramatically poorer, if that meant that there were more conservative religious and cultural values in America. But I really don't think that most Americans are going to agree with that trade-off. Um, on the question of racial and cultural diversity, it's clear that conservatives who wish that America were a white Christian country are really just trying to wish this diversity away by taking Hungary as their model, because in practice you really can't impose cultural and religious values that people don't hold onto them without enormous coercion and violence, something that Rod Dreher, the conservative I quoted earlier, has actually acknowledged by saying that he thinks that seizing control of the state and using it to forcibly uphold particular Christian cultural and religious values is conservatives' last chance to fight back against cultural change. So it's really clear that just adopting, in some ways, Hungary's system of government is not going to be the final step here. The final step is then using that system of government and the violence that it commands, the coercive power of the American state, to force people to adhere to certain cultural values which they just don't adhere to and they don't want to adhere to. Christians, particularly white Christians, are increasingly a smaller and smaller share of the American population and that's why they're so worried. That's why they're concerned that control of America is slipping from their grasp. But at the same time, it's not feasible for them to seize control of the state and then, as a minority, impose their values on everyone else. But the fact that more and more conservatives are thinking along these lines is what, to me, is the most disturbing thing about this Orban infatuation on the American right. It suggests the embrace of a really nasty and coercive agenda to basically end American democracy and enforce a particular set of cultural and religious values which are just not embraced by most Americans today. It's very disturbing to see a major part of the American political spectrum declare that if faced with a choice between an America which is white and Christian, or one which is democratic and diverse, 
They're willing to abandon American democracy in an attempt to uphold the rule of one particular racial and religious group. That's the real meaning of the Orban court, and it's not a pretty one when we think about the future of American democracy. Because more and more younger conservatives are coming up with this point of view, conservatives who are intellectuals and policymakers and media figures, they're going to be around for a really, really long time. And we have to worry about what policy agenda, what, you know, what their agenda is going to be in the future. What are they going to try to do to the country? Perhaps in alliance with an opportunistic figure like Trump, who doesn't really believe in anything, but really wants them to support him in order to keep himself in power. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the CPAC event, that's the conservative conference that takes place in Budapest next month, see how far they go in embracing Orbanism, see if there's any dissent against it, particularly see if they say anything about foreign policy as well, because that's kind of an important issue here with Orban being such a close ally of Putin. So I'm going to I'm gonna watch that event and I'll come back and tell you about it on a future podcast just in case you haven't been able to, to catch up with it yourself. So... Stay tuned in. More updates. I'm going to be, as the midterms approach later this year, increasingly doing more and more podcasts about American domestic politics. Also keeping you updated, of course, on the situation in Ukraine. I've got some great interviews with authors of books that I've really enjoyed recently coming up as well. So a packed agenda coming up on America Explained. I hope you'll tune back in to listen to it. And please, as I always say, tell a friend, help this podcast grow. I really, really appreciate it if you do that. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Janice Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. See you next time.